Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right, I want to welcome you to Liquid Church. I'm Tim, one of the pastors here. Can we give a big round of applause welcoming all of our sister campuses and online, everybody. We're glad that you guys are with us today. We're in week two of the series. It's just a phase, and uh, it's a series about really the five phases of influence that every child needs in their life. And last week we talked about parents, adults, leaders, grandparents, aunts and uncles. Each of us has influence with the next generation, and at Liquid, we have a plan for really passing on the faith to the next generation. What is it? Well, it kind of walked you through those different phases, and today you're going to be in for a treat. But before I tell you what we're going to talk about today, I want you to open up your program, all our campuses. You take out this card right here. It says, it's just a phase, family event. And I want to tell you about this and encourage you, especially if you have a middle school or high school, to sign up for this as a family. It's something for parents and their kids together. Grandparents, you're welcome to. This is going to take place Saturday, November 14th, or Sunday, November 15th. You have a choice which day you want to pick. Um, This is not just a seminar where someone stands up there and talks. It is a kinetic experience where we're hoping to open up a channel of communication between all the different generations. We have many generations at Liquid, from boomers to Gen X to millennials, and we're trying to bridge those and create uh, a a place where actually they can all come talk together about the challenges facing uh, the next generation today. So I want to encourage you to take a look at that. I just signed up with Colleen with our two uh, middle schoolers. Um, You can sign up at lqd.ch backslash phase. So I won't tell you much more about that because you're going to really be encouraged today. Today you're in for a treat because I invited an expert who is going to give you an eye-opening look into the language spoken by millennials. Do we have any millennials here? They're, <laughs> they're too busy texting. They're like, I'm not even listening, dude. I'm on Snapchat. Um, if you are, some of you are like, oh, no, I'm very good with Next Generation. I'm on Facebook. That is not the language we're talking about. You need a cultural translator, and that's who David Eaton is. He is the president and CEO of uh, AXIS, A-X-I-S, which is a ministry that is a Christian ministry that's really designed to empower particularly parents, adults, aunts, uncles to help the next generation make their faith their own. And he does it in a very eye-opening way. You are about to get fire hose. You're about to have your eyes open when you're like, holy smokes, we're not in Kansas anymore. The next generation is facing unprecedented cultural transition, change, and challenges. And the question is, how do we actually redeem that in, in a positive way? Not just be people saying like, oh, no, that's terrible. The Internet is evil. Social media is terrible. Stay off. How do we redeem that in a redemptive way? You're going to learn a ton, I guarantee, today, and you're going to be stretched, and you're going to have your eyes open. So would you give a big liquid welcome to David Eaton from Axis Ministry. Thank you, David. Glad that you came all the way from Colorado. Drop some knowledge on us. Hi, everybody. We're going to have some fun. Let's do this, okay? My name is David. Today, the sermon is titled Lifelong. So how do you build a lifelong faith? And this is what I need you to do. I want you to turn to your neighbor, and this is your discussion question. What challenges do teens and their parents face now more than ever? You have one minute, three, two, one, do it.
You're running out of time. Okay, I just got some knowledge bombs dropped on me over here on the front. They said uh, friends. They also said access to the internet. We have to stop letting technology babysit our kids. I thought that was really profound. And also just like, what do I do, you know, now that my, my son just thinks the world's over. So we need, the next generation needs their parents now more than ever. And this morning, I'm going to give you hope, I'm going to give you strategies, and we're going to have a great time. But what I've seen with this, what challenges do teens and their parents face now that more than ever? I had a dad tell me, he's like, okay, I was born here. My kids were born here. They're two separate worlds. How do we bridge that gap? Or we actually had a teenager say to us, she said, my parents know how to be a teenager. They just don't know how to be a teenager now. And I'm like, yeah, the world has changed. Here's an example of this. And it's almost because, like, here's, here's a phrase, Netflix and chill. Are you guys familiar with the f- phrase Netflix and chill? Uh, a few people? Okay. Um, some people are laughing. It's, it's, it's humorous, but when it comes to the next generation, we have to be bilingual. You have to live in two worlds, speak language of both worlds. So Netflix and chill, let me, well, actually, I'll let Tom Hanks tell you what it means in this video by Carly Rae Jepsen. I really want to stop, but I just got the taste for it. I feel like I could fly with a ball the moon. So honey, hold my hand, you like making me wait for it. I feel like I could die walking up to the room. Oh, yeah. So it's really funny, right? I love this. When I saw this the first time, I just smiled. Then I sent it to my wife, and I watched it again, and I smiled. Then I watched it a third time, and I started listening. I was like, what is this really about? What is Carly Rae really saying? And so let me show you the lyrics here. I'm going to drop them, out, drop them down. Uh, she says, late night watching television. How do we get in this position? It's way too soon. I know this isn't love, but I need to tell you something. I really, 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 really like you. Now, what she's describing, as you see the rest of the song, is she's talking about uh, casual sex. She's talking about a hookup. So she's saying, late night, we're watching television, and now we're, now we're sleeping together. Now, the thing that's crazy about this is if you ever grab your teenager's phone, and, she see, and you see that she's texted her boyfriend, hey, you want to come over and watch Netflix and chill? And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, that's what that means. Now, let me give you another example. This will make you lose hope in humanity. Uh, but this is, a, this is a Vanity Fair article. It's about the Tinder app and the dawn of the dating apocalypse. This is definitely not safe for work. It's definitely an R-rated article, but it is very enlightening. As you see that people are using the Tinder app to try to sleep with over 100 girls, 100 different girls every year. And no intimacy. This is just like, you use me, I use you, let's get together. So it's kind of fragmented love. It's fragmented commitment. So it's, it's really sad. And they also talk about Netflix and chill or smoke weed and watch a movie is what they call it in that article. And then finally, I'm going to show you, this is, uh, quite frankly, it's a little bit terrifying. It's a, it's a viral video that came out recently, and it is a father who is watching a young man try to get his daughter to come meet with him. And it just shows the strategies that are used to get this 12-year-old daughter to meet with him and just the strategies of a predator. So let's watch this. But what I want you to notice is that the girl uses the word chill. 
What's up guys, I'm Kobe Person. How easy is it for a pedophile to pick up an underage child using social media? Well today we're gonna find that out. I made a fake profile on Facebook posing as a 15 year old boy. With the parents permission, I friend requested three girls ages 14, 13, and 12 years old. I've been talking to these girls for the last three or four days and today we're supposed to meet up. Next girl, her name is Juliana. She's 12 years old and we're supposed to meet up tonight when her father falls asleep. So right now I'm here with John who's uh, Juliana's father. We're gonna see if she's actually gonna come to the door or not. She said, this was the last text, LOL, I would have to wait till my dad falls asleep if you wanna chill, cause I can't have boys over. So she wants to chill tonight, supposedly. Um, what do you think about that? I don't think she's gonna open the door. Gotta hope she doesn't open that door. What's your address? I pray she does not respond to this. Well, I can't say the address, but she just literally just texts the address. Start driving to the address, close by. My dad's going to drop me off. All right, so she just said, I think my dad fell asleep, you can come now. One with the light right here? Yes. Come outside, come to the front door. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? I'm sorry. How can you do this? You're 12 years old. This guy's 20 years old. You could have been raped and murdered. We already lost your mother. What would I do if anything happened to you? What would I do if anything happened to you? I love you. Don't you ever do this again. Don't you ever do anything like this again. So we live in a crazy world, right? Influences have changed. And when I think about this for myself, my, my daughter, her name is Shiloh. She's three years old. And when she was born, you just feel your heart expand as a dad. And you're like, wow, like I can, I just feel everything so much more now. And I think about this with her and what challenges she's going to be facing 10 years from now. It's terrifying, but there's also a lot of hope for me as well. Um, here's a precious little video uh, she and my wife Lindsay made for me while I was at work one day. I love you so much, Daddy. I can't wait to see you after my nap. Bye-bye. Isn't that fantastic? <laughs> okay, so I started Axis. I started about nine years ago, and our mission is to build the faith of the next generation into a lifelong faith. Our secret sauce, the way we go about this, is something we call culture translation. So this means that we live at the intersection of faith, technology, and media. And we help translate between these two different worlds. And then what we do is we go all around the country and we speak at all these different churches and all these different schools. So you can see over the 560 events that we've done, which have been really, really great. And that's why I'm so excited about partnering with you guys, because I will be leading an AXIS team in November for It's Just a Phase. It's going to be tremendous. You are busy. You are tired. You have something scheduled for this weekend. Cancel your plans.
okay? It's Saturday and Sunday. Uh, it's the same thing both days. So if you, can, you can't make it on Saturday, come on Sunday or vice versa. It's going to be really fun and super meaningful for your kids. Just drag them here once they're here. My, me and the team will take care of it, okay? Just get them here, all right? Um, and so all you have to do is go to liquid.ch. Uh, slash phase to sign up for that. And we see what Axis does when we called it, and Tim mentioned culture translation, it's like if C.S. Lewis and MTV, if they made a baby, they would name that baby Axis, all right? Because C.S. Lewis is great, but he writes books, and the next generation is post-literate. They don't read books. So we're going to translate the ideas from him and other amazing authors along with tremendous media examples. It's going to be super interesting, entertaining. It's showing timeless ideas and how they're represented now. And then, of course, the idea of a translator is this team. They're millennials. They're mid-20s. We have Patrick Lees, Jessica Doogie. Some of those will be coming with us probably up here on the East Coast. So that'll be a blast. Now, let me tell you why I started Access. Let me show you this picture. So this is me, right here. I'm on a mission trip to Mexico when I was in high school, and this is when I stopped renting my faith from my parents, and I started to own it for myself. I put a down payment on it. And here are three of my buddies. As you can see here, they have something in their hand. What are they holding? Does anybody know? What are they holding in their hand? They're holding a Bible. That's right. So they're holding this Bible. They're actually standing on the street corner, and they are preaching the gospel. Someone's translating in Spanish next to them. Now, all three of these guys are doing amazing things now, as you'll see here. But one profound thing has changed. All three of these guys are now atheist or agnostic. What has happened? So this was a crisis of faith for me, saying, what's going on? Why is there this exodus from the church? Why are people leaving? What's going on? So that's why this sermon this morning is titled Lifelong Faith. What are strategies for this? How can we go after it? And of course, since it's a sermon, the scripture we're going to be using is actually very meta. We're going to be looking at the entire scripture, right? But we're going to keep zooming out, zooming out, zooming out, looking at the big picture. And this is our table of contents. So we have canons, cultivation, lifelong, and of course, secret weapon. Every great presentation is a secret weapon. And canons, we're going to look at three different things here, cultural, relational, and biblical. Now, a canon is not something you put a cannonball in and blow someone away with. The canon here is the Latin word for rule. So the biblical canon or the biblical rules say these books are in it, these books are not. This is what's included, included, this is what is excluded. There are also two other types of canons, in my opinion. One is a cultural canon saying this is what belongs in our culture and this is what's not. This is what normal is, this is what weird is. And same thing with relational canon. I'll explain each of these as we go through it. So the cultural canon, one of the best ways to understand the cultural canon is just to look around you. You can see all the advertisements that invade our space. Every ad is an argument. They're talking about the ultimate things in life, like what is your identity? What is your purpose? What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to feel happiness and feel pleasure? And guess how many of these we see every day? We see 3,000 ads every single day. So there, you just met your quote on this screen. Got it? They're everywhere. We're swimming in them. Also, on top of these advertisements, we have incredible art forms. We have music and movies. And these things can transfer all kinds of interesting ideas. This is what, what Walt Disney says. He says, movies can and do have tremendous influence in shaping young lives in the realm of entertainment toward the ideals and objectives of normal adulthood. So he's saying, I'm making what normal is. Now, here's a fun example. We're going to watch a clip from Let It Go. Listen to the words that Elsa is singing. It's time to see what I can do to test the no right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Do you hear that line? No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Is that what freedom really is? 
ignoring reality and saying, I get to make it up for myself? Absolutely not. Now, the meta picture of Frozen is she becomes an ice princess and then she realizes, hey, I'm really lonely. This is a bad way to live. But if your kid is just singing that song over and over and over and over again ad nauseum, then they're just going to hear that. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. That's what freedom must be. Let's look at this next quote. This is from Damon of Athens. He says, give me the songs of a nation and I care not who writes its laws. So what songs are being sung right now? This is a song from the artist Halsley, or Halsey, and this came out uh, two weeks ago. Survival of the richest, the city's arms until the fall, their monocle and Hamptons bound, but we don't feel like outsiders at all. We are the new Americana, high on legal marijuana, raised on Biggie and Nirvana. Fascinating song, right? Let's look at the lyrics. Let's dive past the topsoil here. Uh, one, I love this line, survival of the richest. So just the goal in life is to have lots of things. But then she says, we're raised on Biggie and Nirvana. As I was adding this slide to the presentation last night, I, I fell asleep and I woke up in the morning saying, wow, like Biggie was murdered and Kurt Cobain from Nirvana killed himself. And so here's a generation raised by these guys who are both killed. Obviously, there's going to be some fragmentation and some despair there. Also, if we look at what's normal, this, uh, this movie came out recently, The Wolf of Wall Street. and had over 22 sex scenes, 700 profanities, and 545 F-bombs in it. So is this what normal is? How do you raise a kid when all, this thing is going, all of these ideas are floating past us? Well, we actually had a, I was speaking, and we had a mom come up and grab me. She said, how? Why are you talking to our kids about this? She said, we are trying to raise our kids like it's the 1950s. And I, I just kept my mouth shut because that's the right thing to do. But then in my head, I was like, but darling, it's not the 1950s. Like, you have been given this daughter from God in 2015 to steward and cultivate and raise. You can't just pretend like the world doesn't exist. Okay, so... At the end of each of these little sections, I have a question for you to ask yourself and ask of your own family and some practical ideas. The first question is, how is your family's cultural literacy or exegesis? Are you talking about these things? Are you talking about these songs? Are you talking about the songs they're listening to and the movies that they're watching and thinking about this? And practical, questions can be more powerful than answers. I love this. You don't have to have the solution every single time. Just have the ongoing conversation. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to solve it necessarily in that moment because you have time to have the conversation. The next one is subscribe to the Culture Translator at access.org slash CT for Culture Translation or Culture Translator. This is a weekly email. I'll show you a preview of it that just says, hey, this is what happened this past week. Here's a great conversation to have. Next is be pro-art and pro-beauty. That song was beautiful. That girl's voice is amazing. However, we're going to think about what she has to say as well. We're going to honor her and think about her lyrics. And so that's where we say, oh, you know, that's not where, it, that, that's bad. That's not good. And then finally, realize that most Christian media is for Becky. Okay, you guys ready for your minds to be blown? Here it comes. Becky is an archetype for a 40-year-old woman who is a Christian who's been divorced once, remarried again, drives a minivan, goes to church twice a week. She also buys Christian CDs. So if you're going to be a Christian artist and you're going to feed your family, you're going to make music for 40-year-old Becky. Now, imagine you have a 16-year-old son, and mom's like, hey, why don't you listen to this Christian music? What's the 16-year-old son going to say? In his mind, he's like, I'm not a 40-year-old woman. I don't like that music. Okay, so there's sometimes we just lack good art. 
And sometimes it's just designed for a different demographic. So understand that as you're thinking about that with your kid. Okay, and this is what the culture translator looks like. Every week, here's three things that happen, what's, what it is, what it, how it's good, how it's bad, uh, something you should know, an article on something interesting in culture with discussion questions at the bottom and the top ten list of either songs or movies. Or we actually did a top ten this last week of things that happened in the Video Music Awards for MTV, which were crazy. Okay, let's move to the next one. The next one is the relational canon, also known as peer pressure, also known as what your friends have to say. Now, this has changed completely. Why has it changed completely? Well, quite simply, it has changed because of technology. Check this out. You, you can't take away my devices. Right it's how people of my generation communicate and exchange ideas and totes adorbs cat pics. <laughs> the sooner you finish your paper, the sooner you'll get them back. <gasps> I'm having so many feelings right now. <laughs> but if I can't tweet about them, am I even really having them? <laughs> hey, Manny, how's it going? I have no way of knowing. <laughs> So social media and the rectangles that are in our pockets have completely changed how we communicate with each other and what it means to have peer pressure placed upon you. I think that's what that daughter meant when she said, my parents know how to be teenagers, they just don't know how to be teenagers now. Because what do we do? We spend about eight hours, eight to nine hours a day with our rectangles. 30% of that's multitasking, so it has even more influence of time upon us. And then this is wild, and this is what a professor says, this is Stephen Jones from uh, University of Chicago. He said, we've added social networking to our lives. We haven't added any hours to our days. The decision to be on Facebook is simultaneously a decision not to be doing something else. Now, what's interesting about Facebook is one of the fastest growing demographics on that are, is grandmas right now. And uh, Mark Zuckerberg said, coolness is done for us. So now it's beyond Facebook, it's into Social Media 2.0, and Social Media 2.0 are all these smaller apps that have social media functions in it. And what you can do is, remember like when indie music, it was like cool to have an indie band, now you can have indie apps where you and your friends go and actually have conversations. And I think there's Social, social Media 3.0 with some of the video versions of this with like Meerkat, et cetera, coming out. Now, what can happen is uh, parents can get super frustrated with all of this, trying to keep up with it, and you may want to feel, you may feel like this guy, this crazy dad in this video. That right there is your laptop. You see it's out here on the ground. This right here is my 45. That was the first round. No mercy, right? <laughs> well, here, as you, as you think about the relational canon, here's a few things. Question, does your home have community accountability? And do you let your kids sleep with their iPad and their iPhone? Practical. Use Covenant Eyes, which is an accountability app, or just turn off the internet on smartphones. That is crazy, but I have done that, okay? I, I do that currently. Uh, next, keep laptops and desktop computers public. It's the isolation age. We're starving for connection, so lead with vulnerability. And this is something that a family in Long Island did, and we totally ripped off the idea. They said, to connect, encourage a media curfew. They're like, hey, it's 8 p.m. It's time for our iPads and our iPhones to go to sleep. Even the board member at Access, he has like a little cubbyhole for his kids' devices, and they stay up there, and they charge, and they're not in the bedroom with the kids. Third one is the biblical canon. We're going to hit this three different times in this presentation. Here's the first one. Uh, the biblical canon, I'm just going to start with a quote from G.K. Chesterton. He said, I'd always felt life first as a story. And if there's a story, there's a storyteller. But then access added this. Is the storyteller telling a good story? 
Is the storyteller telling a more compelling story than The Wolf of Wall Street or than Halsey or than other artists? Does the Bible have something to offer us, to excite us? Because if you think, think of it this way, if your student had to choose between breaking the cultural canon, the relational canon, or the biblical canon, breaking the rules of those, which one would be the first one to be thrown out? Well, many times, it'd be the Bible, right? Because these other ones are more compelling. They've captured or maybe even hijacked our imagination. Okay, moving right ahead. Those are three canons of influence facing the next generation, shaping the next generation. The next question is, how do you cultivate what someone loves? How do you cultivate a lifelong faith? So we're only going to focus on habits and script. Because of time, we're cutting vision and community. We hit these in the It's Just a Phase conference that we're doing, multi-generational family event very soon. So how do you shape what someone loves? So it's a real question here. This was, this was a crisis we had at Axis. We'd spoken in a lot of schools, a lot of Christian schools, and we realized that students could pass a Bible exam. They could give you all the right answers, and they loved the wrong things. They couldn't wait to experiment with evil. And so we said, wow, is that transformation if you just know the right information? And the reason we think this way is because we think that you are, and we are what we love. You see, you're not a thinker. You're not a believer. You're primarily a lover. So you're a lover who thinks, a lover who believes. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not think about the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, or believe about the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's to love. So, and honestly, you can watch, you can hear, somebody can tell you what they think, but when you watch what they love, you know who they really are. So how do we shape what someone loves? And we're not the only people who think this. Pharrell also thinks this. Listen to this video. People don't want to think, they just want to feel. So the question is, how do we change what we feel? How do we change what we desire? How do we change what we love? And so really smart people have thought about this, and we have distilled it down to these four things that shape what we love, our habits, our vision, our script, and our community. Let's start with habits. We'll skip vision, we'll do script, and we'll skip community. That's where we're going. So the first one is your habits. Now, habits are fascinating because... I didn't have great habits, especially in high school, because all I had was information. I didn't have formation. Habits are our action patterns. They're what we repeatedly do over and over again. Actually, Duke says 40% of our waking hours are just habits. So have you ever, like, brushed your teeth with the opposite hand? You, like, stab yourself in the eye, right? Or have you ever taken a shower in the morning and you can't remember if you washed your hair or not? Well, that's because you just get in there and you go on autopilot. You don't think about it. And this can be a great thing. It makes our life simpler, but it means that a lot of decisions we made in the past impact how we live now. Now, this, this is a great translation. Um, I'm learning how to play ukulele right now. And so I don't want to think about a chord. I just want the muscle memory to kick in. Or if you're an athlete, the best games you've ever played are when you're not in your head, Right? You just do what you've practiced. Same thing with a ninja, and this is why you should never, ever, ever, ever sneak up on a ninja. <laughs> now ask yourself, did he think about that? No, he didn't think, he just reacted. He just responded. It was a habit. He's used to seeing creepy snowman. When this creepy snowman turned on, he punched his head off, right? It's the same thing for all that we do. When you're driving and someone cuts you off in traffic, what's your habit? 
What's your response? Is it grace? Is it peace? Or is it anger? If someone makes fun of you and your family, is it retribution? Do you have a culture of sarcasm? So here's the question. How are you practicing the actual practice of faith with your family? Here's the practical. Think about the structure and format of your home and not just what fills it. Most homes, the central point is the TV. That's where everything is facing. Well, maybe you could put it in a different place. Maybe you could put it in the garage for a month, put a tarp over it and see what happens. Uh, the next one, try that and see what happens. Um, practice, practice spiritual disciplines at home and create a culture of service and grace towards each other, not retribution and sarcasm. Let's slide on over to script. Script is interesting. It just means what is your everything story. What's your big picture? What's your history that you're a part of? Now, I'm going to show you a couple different versions of this as you see these different books on the screen behind me. Look, these are giant everything stories of the world, whether it's the Hebrew Tanakh or the Holy Quran or the Panishads, the Bhagavad Gita or the Holy Bible. These are complicated. They're complex. They're nuanced. They take a lifetime of study to really uncover. But some stories, some everything stories out there today are much more simple. An example of this, we'll go back to Pharrell again. This is his song, Happy. Driving narratives of our time is whatever whatever that is, that's how you want to live. Any inclination that you think will give you happiness, you should pursue that behavior. And so it's interesting, this song is so great, so catchy, so fun. You want to dance to it, but also you're like, wait, he just said happiness is the truth. He's making happiness a primary thing. And what Scripture teaches us is that God cares about our holiness before our happiness. Now, here's what happens if happiness is your truth. You might be like these characters in Downton Abbey. And man, they are just so miserably happy. I think I'm about to be happy. I never thought I could be as happy as I am at this moment. Will you be happy? Be happy, please. Been a happy day, Robert. Your mother has made me very happy. I think I've forgotten what happiness is. Will you be happy, dear? Be happy. Perhaps Sir Richard will make me very happy. But now we must get used to feeling happy. I have no right to be unhappy. Let's end on a happy note. That was one season. (laughs) That was just season two. He says, I have no right to be unhappy. So that's one of the big stories that we're competing against. But what does the gospel tell us? What does the Bible tell us? Well, it's challenging because you have to cross this bridge of modern Christianity and go back in time and understand the culture, the history, the geography, and the worldview of what it meant to be a Jew or what it meant to be Jesus in the time when he was under oppression. And see, what I missed out upon is I knew a lot of little stories of the Bible, but I didn't know the big picture. It's kind of like this quote. Many people know stories from the Bible but do not know the overarching arching story of the Bible. That's a lot like having a handful of pearls with no string to link them together. So here's a, here's a practical as we continue. This is our second part on the Bible. We have one more part coming up soon, but here's the practical. Um, is the good news really good news to your family? Is it actually good news or is it just a bunch of rules? And practical, I love this quote. For a long time, it has been much easier to get a PhD in biblical studies if you are a details person rather than a big picture person. Details are vitally important, but they are important as part of the overall picture. 
So many times we don't know the giant story of God and why it's so amazingly good and why being a part of his story is life-giving and gives us a mission. So we talked about canons. We talked about cultivation. Now we're going to look at strategies to cultivate a lifelong faith. And what's interesting is most of the church, or I say most of the church when I grew up in, wasn't focused on that. It had this like tag them and bag them mentality. Let's just get people saved. Let's make sure they're going to heaven. Let's move on. And check out this email that we got. We were speaking at a retreat to junior hires. The lady says, I do know from my experience that junior hires are very emotional and respond well to an altar call at retreat-like settings. She was asking us to wait until the last night of the retreat until it was late, the lights are down, the band is playing music, and we want to get these students saved again. You know, it's like, I, and I told her back, it's like, we can do this, but I'm not interested in getting someone saved for the eighth time or rededicating their life for the millionth time. I want to see discipleship. I don't want to flash in the pan. I want a slow burn. And when the Great Commission is all about making disciples, it's unfortunately become the great omission when it's all about evangelism. Now, evangelism is super important, but it's kind of like this. Evangelism is like a wedding. You prepare for that, but discipleship is the marriage. If you just focus on that first event and don't think about the long term, it's crazy because it's so much work. It's messy. You have to dig into that with discipleship and mentorship. And that's why I love the program they have here for mentorship for students. All right, let's go to uh, Kara Powell. Kara Powell wrote a book called Sticky Faith. It's really great. I pulled three strong uh, predictors of a lifelong faith out of this. The first one is good news, not okay news, not sort of all right news. It's great, amazing news that God has to the world. I'll explain that to you here. But most of the time when you go around and when I travel, I've been to a lot of Christian schools. We were at a Christian school. This girl wore the wrong socks. She broke dress code. There were penguins on her socks. You know what happens? Put the yellow poncho on that girl and shame her. And that's what she's going to remember. She's going to remember a Christian school that was behavior management. It wasn't good news. It was a list of rules. And their, mode, their MO was shame. Just guilt these kids into it. But that's not the good news that the Bible talks about. This is what it looks like. It starts off where God says, I'm going to make the world. And he makes it very, very amazingly, wonderfully good. He makes it full of stars and plants and animals and people and beautiful, beautiful fish. So God puts humanity in the garden, says, be fruitful, multiply, work, and keep this place. And then what happens next? He looks back and says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. It is very good. Next, we move into Act 2. This is when wickedness creeps in and brokenness creeps in. And so you have Act 2 where everything is cursed, it's broken, we suffer. Usually, most of the time, this is where the church starts, right? This is most of the time we say, hey, everything's messed up. Act 3, God says, hey, I'm going to fix the world, I'm going to redeem it, I'm going to do it through a people. I'm going to do it to the people of Israel. Well, Israel fails, 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 and fails, and fails. And then ultimately God says, I'm going to come down, and where Israel has failed, through Jesus, I'm going to succeed. And this is what Tim Keller calls, uh, talks, says about the gospel. He says, the gospel says you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe, but more accepted and loved than you ever dared hope. Isn't that a great quote? When I first read that quote, I was like this, boom. <laughs> Mind blown. Just soak that in, church. <laughs> again, I'm going to read it again. The gospel says, You are more sinful and wicked and flawed than you ever dared believe, but more accepted and loved than you ever dared hope. Christ has come and made a path for us to know God, follow God, have power over sin, and have redemption. But then there's also finally Act 5, and this is our hope that one day God will renew and restore all things. Now, what I had heard was just the middle parts. 
I hadn't heard about Act 1 and Act 5. That's like showing up to a movie 20 minutes late and leaving 20 minutes early. You're going to miss the big picture. And so oftentimes when people say, well, what, what is the gospel? It's like, well, you know, don't do bad things and maybe you'll go to heaven someday when you die. So here's the question. What is our salvation for? Is it just about going to heaven and listening to harp music and floating around with baby angels all the time? Well, I'd say it is about heaven, but it's bigger than that. One day heaven is going to come to earth and there is life now. There's opportunity to create and join God in his mission now. Not just like, I got saved when I'm in sixth grade. What else do I have to do? Um, practical. Please don't forget about Act 1 and 5. We get stuck on managing Act 2. If your family did not exist, would your neighborhood notice any difference? And does your gospel have a mission? Does it have a new kingdom to be a part of? The second indicator of lifelong faith is intergenerational, having parents, grandparents, and students around all the time. I heard somebody say it like this. It's, um, let's see, here we go. We need the wisdom of the older generations, but we also need the wonder of the younger generations. Stop stratifying the church. Stop saying, hey, you middle schoolers, you go to that ghetto over there, and you older people go to that ghetto over there, and you other people go to this ghetto over here. Here, quit separating. Join them back together. Let me tell you kind of a fun story. It's a fun cultural story. I was in Seoul, South Korea, and they have this belief there that if you're in a room with an oscillating fan and the windows and the doors are closed, you will die. So it's called fan death. So they'll freak out. But you better not do that. And so I was there, and so it was just kind of fun, you know, kind of cultural changes. We can always see other people's cultural faux pas, not our own, right? Well, then I found our version of fan death our version of something that we completely neglected and didn't see. I was hanging out with some South Koreans, and they were, they were like, wait, 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 wait. You just said that you didn't grow up with your grandparents? No, wait, wait, you, wait, you only see your grandparents a couple times a year? Now, we grow up with our grandparents. They're super important to us. They're going to come live with us someday. Like, how is that possible? So it's just an interesting world that we live in, uh, Western and westernized countries who just separate the wisdom of the grandparents that we so desperately, I think we all agree, we desperately need. The third one for lifelong indicators is parents. What I love about this church is they're not about outsourcing parents, they're about resourcing parents. They want to resource you. And so parents are the most influential, actually, look at me, look at me. Parents are the most influential person in any kid's life, hands down. It's always the true truth. Theological studies, secular studies, parents are the most influential. And here's a beautiful story of this. This is Kevin Durant receiving his MVP award. I edited it up so you can see all the people he thanks, but then watch who he thanks in the end. First off, I'd like to thank God for changing my life. Perks, Nick, Tawa, Garant, Sirs, Jeremy Perry, Andre, Steven, Reggie, Big Kiwi, Grant, Russ, Mr. Bennett, Sam Presti, Troy Weaver, uh, beautiful fans, my brother Tony, dad, my little brother Rayvon, Cliff, Charlie, Vernon, Tay, Randy, Ryan, my grandma, and, and last, my mom. We wasn't supposed to be here. You made us believe. You kept us off the street. You put clothes on our backs, food on the table. When you didn't eat, you made sure we ate. You went to sleep hungry. You sacrificed for us. <laughs> You're the real MVP. I'd just like to thank God again. He's the first and the last, Alpha and Omega. I thank you for saving my life. Isn't that beautiful? Here's the deal. If your kid comes to this church, 
This is how much influence they'll have, about 40 hours every year. That's great. However, this is how much influence a parent has in their kid's life. You have even more influence than technology. Now, here's a great Mark Twain quote. <laughs> when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished by how much he'd learned in seven years. <laughs> so parents, stay the course. And here's the secret weapon, because every great presentation has a secret weapon. The secret weapon is quite simply grandparents. Grandparents are so powerful. And some I mean, like when Shiloh was born, I was like, I need my parents. They, my parents live in Texas. Lindsay's parents live in Iowa. I was like, we need them around. We need their help. We are desperate for help. And what my dad says, he says, you know what? Sometimes, because he was a cop in kind of inner city, he says, sometimes grandparents aren't the secret weapon. He says, sometimes they're the only weapon. Sometimes grandparents are the only one raising these kids and imparting truth to them. And what's beautiful about grandparents is this story. I just put a picture of a moose up here, but we were in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. There was a girl who was in high school. She was an atheist, and she would not talk to her parents. But she would talk to her grandpa. And you know what? Grandpa had the ability to step back and say, all right, I'm not going to react. I'm not going to over-respond to this. What she's saying is really painful. It is really hurtful but I'm going to continue to love her. And so that daughter, who wanted nothing to do with her parents, knew that she could go to her grandfather, and he embraced her, and he loved her, and he wanted to love her into the kingdom of God. And so grandparents have this amazing perspective as they're in some of the final chapters of their life, and all they want to do is invest in those grandbabies. So here's the final question. final question for all of us is, what is our 500-year plan? What is our 500-year plan? I'm dead, you're dead, we're all dead, our kids are dead, our grandkids are dead, our great-grandkids are dead. Have we passed on a legacy of faith to our kids? Have we invested in them? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your incredible love for us. Bless the families in this room. Encourage them. May they grab a hold of your giant gospel, your giant good news to the world. The world's very good, but it's cursed, but you redeemed it, and you've offered us a new way to live, and we have a new hope and a new mission. God, thank you so much for loving us and for saving us. Make your name great through us. Amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.